You know, the Bible speaks a lot of renewal. The Apostle speaks the fact that our minds need to be renewed. Uh, the Psalmist David spoke of the need of the spirit to be renewed. He said, renew the right spirit within me. Isaiah said, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. Our strength needs to be renewed. And did you know that Titus 3 and 5 even spoke of the renewal of the Holy Ghost? So our minds and our spirit and our strength and our Holy Ghost all need renewing. And this particular meeting is structured for a spiritual renewal to tremendous ladies who have given so much of themselves and have come here in search of a healing. And I want to introduce you this afternoon for the next few minutes to the, the wounded healer. Jesus Christ is such a tremendous healer because in every area of life he was wounded. There's not one area you could not traffic in one human emotion that Jesus Christ did not fathom its depths or span its canyon. We have a high priest that can be touched because in all points, like as we, he was tempted, he hurt, he trafficked in ever known abyss of man. In the book of Proverbs, chapter 18 and verse 14, the wise man said, the spirit of a man will sustain his infirmity. But a wounded spirit, who can bear? And that simply means that I don't care how infirm, weak, physically sick you may be, if you can keep your spirit strong. Did you ever see anybody that was sick and somebody said, boy, but they are so strong-willed. They got such a tremendous spirit. I believe they're going to make it. But, he said, a wounded spirit. This teaches me that a wounded spirit is the most dramatic and dangerous than the physical anatomy. Now, in Isaiah 53 and 5, he introduces us to one who was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are, we are, we are healed. Brother Tenney, do you really think that he understands Zechariah 13 and 6 says, 
And one shall say unto him, What are these wounds in thine hands? Then he shall answer, Those with which I was wounded in the house of my friends. From the rejection by those that hated him to being wounded in the house of his friends, the entire spectrum of humankind walked Jesus Christ. He is the wounded healer. And because of his wounds and his not sympathy but his empathy with you, he is present in this retreat to lift you. You have not come here to have another neurotic guilt trip laid upon you. You have not come to be told how little you have done. But you have come here in the Holy Ghost to be healed, helped, and lifted. There's an old parable that tells us that Confucius passed a man by the wayside that had fallen into quicksand. And Confucius looked down and said, let this man who has so fallen be an example to all of us. Buddha came by and looked at him and Buddha said, he must not have gained enough merit in life and he has gotten what he deserved. Worry not about him. Mohammed came by and said, alas, alas, it is but the will of Allah. A Hindu came by and said, fret not, maybe you'll be born something better the next time. But Jesus Christ came by and said, give me your hand and I'll lift you out. And that's the difference between our Savior and any other religious persuasion. He comes to lift. I am so glad I have never allowed anyone to lay upon me an impossible God. I, I read after Joseph Cook, who was a brilliant PhD, he wrote a book entitled Free for the Taking, and he said something in that book that I'll never forget. He said, I invented an impossible God, and I had a nervous breakdown. He confessed it. I believed in grace, I believed in the love of God, I taught it. But I still thought God was frowning on me. I thought God nagged me all day long. I thought God was constantly saying to me, why don't you pray more? Why don't you witness more? When will you ever learn self-discipline? How can you allow yourself to indulge in wicked thoughts? Do this, don't do that, yield, confess. Work harder, get busy, get right. And he said, the first thing you know, I woke up and thought, God doesn't even like me, much less love me. And he said, with that impossible God I invented, I could not live. I'm introducing you to the wounded healer. One that has come to love you, to loose you, and to lift you. One that knows all about you and still loves you. One that remembers your frame that you are but flesh. One that sees you under all of the pressures of life 
and will come more quickly to the point of your weakness than anywhere else. We have not an high priest that cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. That means weaknesses. You know what touches God? Well, I could stand up here all day long and say, God, I'm strong. God, I believe the truth. God, look at what I've done. I wouldn't impress him a bit. But when I say, God, have mercy on me, I hurt. I've got frustrations. I've got fears. I'm uptight. I don't think I can take it another day. I don't have the answer. When I take off my mask. There's a very interesting passage of scripture in 2 Corinthians that's always been very meaningful to me. 2 Corinthians 3, 17 and 18. Now the Lord is that spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is there is liberty. And we often quote that in the midst of a high-pitched, emotional, hallelujah, Pentecostal hoedown. You know, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. Read the next verse. But you want real liberty and release in Christ? You want to be set free from your bondage? The next verse tells you what that liberty is. But we all with open face... Behold, as in a glass, the glory of the Lord, and are changed from image to image. And that simply means we all come into the presence of God with open face. That's an old, archaic English word that means take off your mask. We all come into God's presence. We all come to the ladies' retreat, and we take off our mask. Oh, yeah, we've all got our pasted smiles that we wear. We've got to. We've got our plaster of Paris face that we have to put on. I'm being honest with you. But he said there's a time if you want real release and liberty in the Holy Ghost. You come into God's presence, you take off your mask, and you look into a mirror. And as you see yourself, then he says... You can be changed. But only as you are willing to be honest enough to come into God's presence, into the presence of the wounded healer who was wounded for our transgressions, who was wounded in the house of his friends, who knows how it is to have a sick spirit and take off your mask and look into his mirror, the perfect law of liberty, and say, Lord, I need to be changed. And who among us doesn't need to be changed? He said, when you do that, when you leave me and leave this premise of revelation, you will have a new liberty to be yourself in the Holy Ghost, such as you have never been before. No, it's not just physical wounds, but it's wounded spirits that our Lord really is an expert in and you ladies are wounded in unique ways Florence Nightingale famous for her work of the last century said this she said would you please keep clear of all jargons about man's work and woman's work 
and go your way straight to God's work in simplicity and singleness of heart. Even today, it's too bad that we get into an endless discussion oftentimes about men's role and women's role. And the first thing you know when we come to women, we end up with a bunch of prohibitions. And in the process, when we get through, we've made women feel that they're of no value in the work of God. And Jesus Christ came to so dignify womanhood. You see, the first Adam made a mess. The crown of God's creation was womanhood. He crowned all creation with womanhood. The devil, when he attacked God, he attacked God at the crown. And he toppled the crown. All right, when Jesus came back, he so wanted to lift womanhood until he said, when this is all over with, my church is going to be called my bride. Now, isn't it strange that all through the church on earth, the kingdom of God, we're called sons of God? But when it's all over with and we stand eternally redeemed for eternity, we'll be known as the bride. He put the crown back on. He wants to touch and to lift womanhood. We are all involved in God's work. You see, really in Jesus, we're all sons of God. There's neither bond nor free nor Greek nor Jew nor male nor female. We're all one in Christ the Lord in our relationship to him. Now functionally, yes, as you ladies understand, functionally you operate under the headship of your husbands. But, oh Lord, may we open ourselves up, first of all, to the fact that you understand and you love us. Secondly, may we take off our mask and come into your presence and say simply, Jesus, I need to be changed. There's just some things that need to be made right. And don't think he'll love you less because nothing you can do will make God love you more and nothing you can do will make him love you less. Well, we're not Buddhist. We don't earn merit with our God. The lowest sinner in same, same prison today, God loves. Now, Brother Tenney, look what he's done. What he's done, you know, God may not be pleased with, but that doesn't affect the fact that God loves him. He is a fallen creature. And there's nothing T.F. Tenney can do to make God love me anymore. He just loves me. He's already gone to Calvary. What else can he do to prove to me that he loves me? He has come to love us and to loose us and to lift us. And to touch us and bring us to a new image of self-worth. You know, I can, I, I can listen only so long to the calamity howlers and uh, those that want to reverse the image of God. And I listen to a recital of the earth and the world and the church's shortcomings. You know, I've heard so many sermons on what's wrong with the church till I want to preach one on what's right with it. And I hear, you know, so many sermons about what's wrong with the women in the world today until I, I won't tell you what I think is right with them. And, you know, I think God's even given us a pretty good world to live in. I listened to that so long, and then uh, just the other day I took a long walk down the road and, and just looked, and, 
and I could make what I thought a thousand things that were right. Something about human nature, you know, even as preachers' wives, you can do a hundred things right and nobody else say a word. You do one thing wrong. I was quite amused at the editor of one of our uh, district papers. Uh, he was sharing something with me, and he's done one of the most tremendous jobs of editorial work of any district in our fellowship. And uh, he printed an article from another periodical, and a, a, a little slang word slipped by. And he was telling me the mail he got off of that one little slip. You know, he said, well, at least I know somebody's reading. But that's, that's human nature. You know, there's just something. And, and, and you hear all these things. Well, every now and then you've got to go out and just look and say, hey, God, the rain still falls. And water still runs downhill. And it runs into brooks. And the brooks still sing. And they run into the rivers. And the rivers go to the ocean. And the fish are still there. And the first thing you know, the grass shoots up through the winter in the pasture and you look out and the robins are strutting and singing their mating call and the daffodil grows and I say, hey God, the world's all right. It's men that need healing. It's men that need touching, that really need the wounded healer. Jesus Christ, and I made this statement, Jesus Christ trafficked in every emotion known to man. He explored the vast treasury of pain. He knew what it was to hurt, really, physically. If you're ever in pain, physically, and you call on God and say, Oh God, do you understand? Through his word, he whispers, I've been there. Whenever joint in my body was pulled out, when my heart hurt so bad till it literally burst, when my side was riven, I really know I was wounded, I hurt. And you say, God, yeah, how can I ever forgive people that have treated me and my husband when we've given our best for them and to think that they could talk about us as they've talked about us and some that you've invested the most in seem to appreciate it and God what's the use Jesus would say yes you know I understand because I poured my life into thousands of people and I fed them when they were hungry and I gave them water to drink and healed their sick and their children and blessed them and even raised their dead back to life but you know one time I got in a crisis and uh, even the 12 that I trusted the most didn't understand. And I died without a promise. There was nobody standing around the cross that said, hang in there, Jesus, because when it's all over with, we'll meet you on the other side of the resurrection. He said nobody was there. So I really know how you feel when those you pour the most in love you the least. And I can heal you in that area because I have been there. And he'd say, hey, kids, don't get bitter because I passed up many milestones on the road to bitterness. And bitterness is an acid that always destroys its container. He'd say, yes, I, I understand that. 
He had a word of assurance for a dying thief. He had a word of provision for a grieving mother. You know, I, I never had stopped to think. Jesus was not married. Consequently, he wouldn't have known anything physically about divorce or losing someone in some uh, separation while yet living. And yet he, even in a unique way, trafficked that emotion because he gave his mother. He saw someone he loved, no woman on earth he loved any more than his mother. And he literally had to give her to another man. Now, you may not make any sense out of that. But he would even know how it felt to release a woman or some individual that you love better than anything in the world and someone else take her and still not be bitter. Nobody could understand that. I, I don't understand that. I don't even understand what I'm saying. But maybe some of you have invested a lot in a loved one, a relative, to be betrayed, to be hurt, to be forsaken. And you, you had to take your hands off the situation and just give it up. He literally gave his mother away. And backed up and died. He knows how it feels to be God forsaken. There's been a few times in my life that I wondered if God even knew I was alive. Most assuredly, I knew God had forgotten me. You know, and I thought surely nobody else has ever gone through what I'm going through. But I've got a wounded healer that went, the, about the worst a man can feel is to feel God forsaken. And God made Jesus Christ the sin center of the universe. He reached back and grabbed every foul sin from Adam and reached into the future and grabbed every foul sin of a Joseph Stalin and an Adolf Hitler and a Mussolini and an Idi Amin. He grabbed it all in one ball and thrust it on the Lamb of God at Calvary and said, it's yours, you did it. And he who knew no sin became sin. Can you imagine how odd of God to kill his own son? How would you feel if your own father killed your only boy? And yet, the thing that killed Jesus Christ was a broken heart. And it was when the sins of the world were thrust upon him by the eternal Father. That's what killed him. And that's why we have a high priest. He even knows how it feels to, to think that you're God forsaken. Because finally he said, my God, my God, why? Has thou, emphasis on the thou, you of all, the entities of the universe, how could you forsake me? And this is the moment of our, my deepest need. He did it because he wanted to understand, love, and heal you.
healer. He knew what it was to be thirsty. He knew what it was to commit what appeared to be an impossible situation to the hands of God. He said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. Notice he said spirit. If we can get our spirits in the hands of God, we're going to be all right. Because he said it's that wounded spirit that's the toughest thing to handle. And if you can really let God have that spirit, Jesus taught that. He said, don't fear that man that can just destroy your body. This old casing that we're wearing, that's nothing. It's the spirit that's in it. That's so important to God. My Lord even went through the emotion of betrayal. And I don't know if you ever thought about it or not, but there can be a, a blessing in betrayal. I've been through some things in life that at the moment of entry, at the point of entry, the wound hurt. At the point of exit, it nearly killed me. But as I look back on those experiences, I can see that in God's economy, there is no waste. And even some things that were designed by hell and thrust at me. If I can get out of my secondary guessing. See, the primary thing is this. God is sovereign. And whatever happened to me, God could have stopped it. But he didn't. And since he didn't, I'm not going to let second guessing drain my victory. See, I can get up every morning and say, Now, God, you could have kept this from happening, and you didn't do it. And the first thing you know, I fooled around and created me an impossible God. But when I can get up and say, Well, God, you could have overruled this, but you didn't. So all I can say is I believe you're going to sanctify it and somehow it's going to serve you and it's going to make a better person out of me. You're a sovereign God and I'm not going to lose my faith in you and I'm not going to fuss with you. You know, Job, Job was very subtle. The Bible said Job never sinned or charged God foolishly with his lips. Did you ever read that? you ever think about what that man went through with? Let me tell you, the closest he ever got and very subtle. You've got to read between the lines. He said, Oh, that I knew where I might, what? Find him. He said, I would come before his seat. Now, that's very subtle. He said, God, you're sitting down on the job. You're sitting on my case. With all the trouble I'm in, you ought to be standing up and rushing around me with a thousand angels. But where are you? You're up there somewhere sitting down. And here I am down here hurting and dying and wounded. And so he said, if I could come before his seat, I'd fill my mouth with arguments. I'd tell God a thing or two. But then he ended up and he said, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. And the book of Job simply tells us in its grand finale this, that faith in God is better than an answer. If you never get your answer, don't lose your faith. Uh, th th there were so many things that, that, that happened to Jesus. He was betrayed. Sometimes we give far 
too much glory to the devil, the world, and the flesh for circumstances in our life. And we blame all of our enemies when we're buffeted. And, and, and we only have peace in our life when we understand that the devil, the flesh, and the world are secondary. That God is sovereign. And whatever happened is in his hands. Paul said to live as Christ, to die as gain. Living or dead, a God it made. He said God is sovereign. That's what he was saying. And I'm not going to go around second-guessing why all of this happened. I'm just going to continue to serve the sovereign God. Knowing that either God allowed it or God's going to overrule it or God's going to sanctify it. But God's in control. And betrayal, Jesus, how are you going to use betrayal? Several people had to learn how to use betrayal. David was fleeing from the city and he had been the king and crowned and glorified and, and they sang psalms about him and, and he wrote the psalms, many of the psalms. And as he went out of the city, you know when you get under fire, a lot of strange spirits will surface in the congregation. When you get under fire. And here comes old Shimei and he's supposed to be one of his right hand men. And Shimei comes along while David's fleeing. And absolutely, old Shimei goes to cursing him and calls him a dirty dog and throws rocks at him and throws dirt at him. And he's the king. And some of David's men look up there and see that little pig squeak. Shimei running along and cursing David, the mighty king, and, and bemeaning him and vilifying him. And there, we thought all the time you were with us, but I see you're not. And now we're under fire. What do you do? And you can see these men that were mighty men fleeing with David. And, and one of them had, had killed a whole garrison of Philistines over a pea patch. And, and another had killed a lion in a, in, in a snowy pit. And uh, you don't fool with those lions. I wrote an article one time on courage with cold feet. Uh, because he fought that lion in a snowy day in a pit. He must have had cold feet. And you can see these men looking at him. And they said, David, just let us at him. And they're bang out in their mouths and they were they were so mad they were sitting and killing grass everywhere they spent and and Shimei right along said he said God is trying to teach me something through this man what I want to do I want to retaliate I want to find a way to get even boy I'm going to cork this up I'm keeping score but David said look the first thing I'm looking for in this betrayal is God What is God trying to teach me? Uh, Joseph, poor Joseph, betrayed by his brothers, betrayed by part of his wife, betrayed in the prison. Listen, ordinary man would have been so mortally wounded in his inner spirit until that would have been it. But the secret of his sanity was his conquering patience. And that he had one thing always in his mind, and here's what it was. And you can find this recorded in Genesis 15, 20. He said, look, fellas, you thought all of this for evil. But he said, God meant it for good. And all along, he said, I refuse to see anything in this except the hand of God. Oh, dear Lord, I have not learned that lesson yet. I cannot stand here and tell you that I have been able to see God in everything that happened to me, when it happened. But as I look back on life, I'm happy to tell you that I have never seen a time when God has forsaken me. 
And I have never seen a time when God has not ultimately lifted me. And I have never been through anything that I did not learn something. And I'm not a candidate for going back through any of it. And there's times when we find ourselves in this predicament. And we say, why, God? You know, Paul clipped a little KO on us in 2 Corinthians 1 and 3 and 4. He said, Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort, who comforteth us with in all our tribulations, that we may be able to comfort them which are in trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted. I'm not saying what all that means. God simply means this. That he uses your experiences that you've been through through you to comfort others that are going through the same thing now. You see, your past may be somebody else's present. And God reaches back into your past and you comfort those with the comfort wherewith you were comforted. If Jesus Christ had not been betrayed, there would have been a missing ingredient of Calvary. That I cannot explain. Now, I don't guess any of us could choose our betrayers. But yet, Jesus Christ is introduced into one of his greatest works, certain cause for putting motion because of a traitor. And you may look back in your life and, and, and maybe you were wounded by the traitor. And you may ask God what came out of that. But did it polish the Christian grave? Did it did it lift you to love him more? Did it prepare you to minister to somebody else? Did you come through it bitter or better? the wounded healer understands. It's a tremendous passage of scripture and I've been studying a little bit in, in Ephesians. You know, Paul in the first chapter said, I'd, I'd read this many times but I never had noted it exactly as it's written here. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, Ephesians 1 and 1. Now, I'd always read that where Paul said, I am an apostle, and you better listen to me. That's really not what he meant. He simply meant, I am an apostle by the will of God. I am what I am, and I'm comfortable being what I am. The will of God has made me an apostle. I'm comfortable. And whatever the will of God has made you to be, he's simply saying, be comfortable. Be comfortable. Uh, God's will is, is worked out in our life quite humanly. For instance, Paul was going to Bithynia. And the Holy Ghost said, don't you go. 
And he got up the next day and he said, let's go to Bithynia. The Holy Ghost said, don't you go. You see, Paul wanted to go east and, and the Lord wanted him to go west. And finally one night he put on his pajamas, got ready to go to bed, just like anybody else, laid down. He didn't just lay down that night and said, this is the night that I'm going to have the Macedonian vision. He was just living life. He had his supper, put on his PJs, crawled up on the mat, went to sleep. And that just happened to be the night. You know, we, we think all these fellas floated around on Ethereal Nebulous and we read the book of Acts and we think it happened, bam, bam, bam. It happened over a period of 35 years. You know, they, they lived life just like you do. And Paul just went to sleep one night and that's the night that he saw the vision. And I can see him jump up and, and, and he, he checked it with the other fellas. They said, yes, yeah, all God. And they bounced around, shouted, and talked in tongues. And went over there and said, man, we're going to have revival. God's shown me what's going to happen. This is going to happen. That's going to happen. They're waiting on us. They're bidding me. Come over, come over, come over. And when he got over there in the perfect will of God, he ended up in jail. With his back beaten. You know, he said, oh, wait a minute, God. What's wrong here? I thought that, uh, I thought that I was in your will. And I thought I had a vision. Was I broadcasting when I ought to have been tuned in? You know, uh, well, what's going on here? No, Paul, you heard me right. So a lot of times we can be in the perfect will of God and run into a lot of strange things. Strange things. Uh, remember this, God rules or God overrules, but if you don't remember another thing, you, you, you remember what I'm going to say now. Ultimately, it ends up in our laps. Do you think Paul had to go? No. You know, we think doing the will of God is a mystique thing. When you come down to where the rubber meets the road, it's in your lap. You're going to go or you're not going to go. So Paul said, I'm an apostle of the will of God. It just happened that it became the will of God. I'm very human. I wanted to go east one time, and I butted my head twice against the wall trying to go east when God wanted me to go west. And so that's very human. You know, there's been a few times I wanted to do something, and I kept... <laughs> and the Lord, no, no, you know, because what I want to do, you know. And so Paul, an apostle, had that experience. Sure did. And I, look, listen to what he said. Oh, this is He said in verse 4, as he had chosen us. And look at verse 5. Having predestined us into the adoption of children. Look at verse 6. He hath made us accepted in the beloved. Chosen. Adopted. Accepted. God accept you. Now, this word here, chosen, uh, the ministry specifically, selected, uh, God chose me to use me. Now, I just want you to know that I'm comfortable in the will of God. God has a choice for me. You know, I, I've got a pocket full of keys here. Who is he? I use this key every day. But I'm only skimped out. This is the key to my office. Okay. This is, this is the key to the back door of the office. I don't use this key once a year. 
But these keys are put and not to be used. And all they're waiting for is to get in my hands. I have never had to chase this key down to use it. If somebody somewhere cut it to fit. And I, if it could speak, it would have said, mm, mm, oh, that's so hard. Yeah. I got a place for you, see? Just think, when I knock you out and I get you in my hand, you're going to work. And I'm not going to have to chase you down. I get a little tired of these preachers sometimes talking about what I had to give up to preach the gospel. How God had to chase me through five continents, you know. I just see a key running in, and God chasing All this key's got to do is yield to my hand, and it'll work. Oh, because somebody put it to the grindstone and fixed it. And ladies, somewhere God has designed you to fit. And he'll grind you down till you fit. And then when you get into his hands, all you've got to do is rest in his hands. And don't fuss because this key is used every day and I never get used. They're always up front. And um, nobody else, listen, God made you as you are to use you as he pleased. And if God made you for the back door, just yield when that time comes. Oh, hallelujah. And quit frustrating. You know, when I get ready to go in that back door, I thank God I got a key here that was cut to fit. And when God gets ready to use you, just thank God He's using me. This is what I was made for. I'm not going to keep scoring on everybody else's keys. But He cut me to fit here. And all I've got to do is yield. All I've got to do. Because I am God's person. And frequency of usage has nothing to do with significance of design and purpose. You can understand that on my key ring. Why can't you understand it in life? What'd you say, Miss Tiff? I said frequency of usage has nothing to do with the significance of design or purpose. You know, we think that that those that are used the most must be the most valuable. That just depends on whether you want to go in the front door or the back door. Uh, from, from whose perspective are you looking at the thing? Ah, he's chosen me, and I want to be the kind of king he wants me to be. And not only that, but he has adopted. I, I'm not a Greek student, but there are three Greek words that are used for adopted. Uh, and for children. And the word adopted children here means a full-grown son. And what it means is that when Paul said, when God saved me and adopted me into his family, he already saw me as full-grown, matured, and useful. 
see, he's not dealing with us as running those babies in the body, but he's dealing with me as he sees me becoming, and God doesn't see me falling or failing. Paul, let me tell you something. I don't believe in eternal security, but what Paul was saying here is from the moment God saved me, he had no design but success and maturity on me. And regardless of what I might have become between birth and death, when God brought me into the family, He saw me as succeeding. And He had forever chased you, fussed with you. No, but, but if you can have this image, that the moment God adopted me, He adopted me to be full grown. And accepted in the beloved. Accepted. Even in our failures, He doesn't boot us out. John said in Revelation 1, unto him who, who loved us and washed us. Do you know that's what the Bible said in Revelation chapter 1? He loved us and washed us. Now, we don't think like that. Kids are out playing. They're filthy, dirty. In the mud pies, they come running in. Mommy, Daddy, you're not going to throw that. Whoa, wait a minute. You go wash and then I'll love you. You're not going to muss my suit up. You know, we think, wash, and then we'll love you. But He loved us and then washed us. Oh, you know, if we could ever learn that you can accept somebody without approving of them. I heard a man say last night, now, now fasten your seatbelts because it happened in Louisiana. You folks from the other states, forgive me. A man said, I walked into a Pentecostal church. He had been a drug addict from the drug scene with long hair. And he said, those Pentecostal people were so snooty. He said, they gave me the feeling that I shouldn't be here. See, that I was in the wrong place. You know... Now, Brother Tenney, do we approve of that? No, I don't approve of that, but I can accept that man as he is. And let me tell you something, because he felt rejected as a, as a green, you know, man, just right off the street, he felt rejected. He found acceptance in another group. Bless God, if he'd have loved the truth, he'd have made it. Well, you know, we've got to differentiate between people who reject our message and those who reject our method of presenting the message. A lot of people that hadn't rejected our message, but they have rejected our method of presenting it. Oh, Lord, I thank you for accepting me in the beloved. While I am standing here today in my fears, Jesus Christ accepts me. He's the wounded healer. Chosen. Adopted. Let me draw you a hypothetical illusion in closing. You go to a social agency to adopt a child. You walk in and talk to the supervisor and the powers that be, and you say, 
I want you to search your files and find the most unwanted child. The one that you have here that no one else would ever choose. And then you bring me the worst case and let me look at it. That's probably the one I want. The one that nobody else. Superintendent would say, I don't even need to look at my files. I know the one. He would say, I've got a, I've got a girl here that's uh, eight years old. She was, has a birth defect, deformity. She uh, is uh, retarded. She was uh, rejected at home, beaten. And uh, she is very maladjusted certainly terrible to look at and socially malfit you say all right hadn't even seen her but i'll take her that's the one i want so you take her into your home and you take this little eight-year-old girl from that frame of reference and you sit her down in your home and you say now we're going to lay some ground rules you're eight years old you're old enough to understand first of all i want you to know that nobody else in life wanted you if it hadn't have been for me you'd have still been stuck in that orphanage. Now, the second thing I want to tell you is this. You've got a birth defect, deformity. And we have a lot of people that come and visit us. Now, we've adopted you all right, but whenever the front doorbell run, rings, you run to your room and you close the door and don't come out until the company leaves. And the third thing we want you to know, little adopted daughter, is that because you don't know how to eat and your saliva comes out of your mouth, we're going to fix a special place in the kitchen for you. And when we eat at the table, you eat in the kitchen. Have you helped that child or have you only added to her? What kind of a God do you think would reach down and adopt? I want you to know when he adopted me, I was deformed. I was rejected. But then to think that he would bring me into his home and treat me like that. Uh-uh. He brought me into his house to lift me. And to heal me. And I am accepted in the beloved. I have been chosen by him hallelujah and he is the wounded healer and he has brought you here to tell you I chose you I adopted you I accept you let's lift our hands and love him hallelujah oh God hallelujah Hallelujah, 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 Lord, we're so glad that you understand that you are the wounded healer, that you have come to touch us in the point of our weakness, and to loose us, and to let us know again as you whisper to us, child, I have chosen you, child, I have adopted you, child, I have accepted you. He was wounded for us.
of the Holy Spirit of God. And I'm so glad that we have a high priest that knows. We have a God that has bled, a Savior that has died, has explored all the vast treasury of pain and rejection and betrayal, hurt, both human and emotional. And because you are God, you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. Only you can go into our yesterday. Only you can go into our past and heal our past and heal our emotions. Lord, we're not asking you to change what has happened, but just change our attitude toward it. And let us take off our mask and look into the mirror and be changed. And we will forever bless the name of our Savior. You know who's here today, Lord, and who's hurting and who needs lifting and understanding. I only ask this, that before these ladies leave here, that they will have had a confrontation with the source of life and that they will know that there is a God who has chosen them, a God who has adopted them, and a God who has accepted them. In the name of Jesus.